This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 355. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I am joined this evening by Spencer Keepers of Keepers Concealment. Say hello real quick, Spencer. Hello. Hi, guys. <laughs> Appreciate you coming out. Yeah. You Absolutely, man. Thanks so much. Uh, we are thrilled to have Spencer on tonight. Uh, he, of course, he, he, he's become known as the Appendix Carry Guy. And for good reason, uh, his company arguably arguably makes some of the best AIWB holsters on the market. Uh, yeah, he, also some of your holsters can be carried at other locations too. That's uh, that's acceptable. That's, that's of course. correct. Yep. But what people may not know if they don't follow you real close is that you're also a heck of a shooter. And so I'm looking forward to talking to you about some shooting stuff tonight as well. You recently won your second turbo pin which is a big deal. Right. And I suspect some of our listeners don't know what that means, but we'll talk about that. I want to give you an opportunity to, to sing your own praises on that because I think that's well-deserved. Today, or tonight, we are, we are actually recording this in the evening here, so we're uh, referring to things as tonight. Uh, but uh, tonight's episode brought to you by, made possible, sponsored by CCW Safe. Thrilled to have CCW Safe as a sponsor of the podcast. Uh, we also have an honorary sponsor of Keepers Concealment. You can always check out Keepers at keepersconcealment.com for some really awesome holsters. Back to CCW Safe, their self-defense coverage, I think, is pretty awesome. Uh, if you want to just see how they stack up with everybody else out there on the market, we've made it real easy. Just head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash insurance, where we compare all of the major players in the self-defense coverage game and I'm pretty sure you'll see CCW safe much the same way I see it where it's pretty dang awesome coverage I think yeah. they're they're they are incredible as far as what they do what they provide for their members one thing that is not obvious on that chart because it's not it doesn't say this at all on there but they are the only company that has been tested and proven to stand behind their members by winning a murder one trial now, I know that they don't necessarily want to see those sorts of things happen, but in a case that you know, that's the way that case went and one of their members was affected and they stood by him all through that way and made sure that he is living his life free today, which may not have been the case if he hadn't had CCW safe coverage uh, covering those expenses of that long and challenging trial. So, yes. Check out CCW Safe at ccwsafe.com. I'm pretty sure if you try them out, like I have, I'm a member, that you will find they are pretty dang awesome. So uh, check them out. I'm a member as well. Awesome. I, I kind of figured you were. <laughs> you might know a, a few people that are tied in there. <laughs> it, knowing the inside of the uh, company the way I do makes me like them even more. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm with you there. I've been privileged to get to know uh, some of some of the inside of the company as well. Well, Spencer, here we are. We just had you on last week with our Guardian Nation Live event. Now that's aired live, uh, but it's only aired for our Guardian Nation members. And we had a great time and had a lot of great discussion and questions that were asked. Uh, but uh, here we bring you to the podcast, I think, for your second visit. I interviewed you, I think, at the NRA show or maybe yeah. the SHOT show. It was one of those events. Yeah, NRA show uh, a year or two ago, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's probably been too long since, you know, since then to get you back on, but thrilled to have you here on the program yet again. Uh, I suspect there will be some crossover from what we talked about then, but uh you know, there may be some people that missed that episode. So, so let's, let's just kind of rehash a few things here. Spencer, tell us real quick about yourself, your background, and uh, the kind of the, some of the things that you're known for. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I got started in the uh, holster 
business, if you will. You know, first of all, I, you know, as a kid, I just I was fascinated by guns. Uh, one of the earliest memories I have is holding a gun. You know, um, <clears throat> grew up as a as a lifelong hunter, hunted all over the place, and you know, worked in a uh, worked in a gun shop. And uh, I was the proverbial, you know, that guy. I knew everything about guns because, you know, I worked in the gun shop. So. <clears throat> And uh, somewhere uh, about 2000, I guess, seven or uh, eight, I think it was, I, I took my first formal uh, firearms training class uh, outside of like your concealed carry, you know, kind of training class. And uh, man, that was just it. That was hook, hook, I was just hook, line and sinker. <clears throat> so I started training with anybody and everybody that I could. Um, and, uh, from there, uh, it kind of, as you stated, I'm kind of known as the appendix guy. Masad Ayub said I was the, the priest and high master of appendix carry in an article. And, uh, so I'm not so, you know, when I think about that, I don't know if I'm a leader of a cult and I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, uh, uh, I was introduced to appendix carry by uh, uh, the late Todd Lewis Green, and the first thing I said to him, you know, are you nuts? Do you know where that gun's pointed? And uh, after spending just a little bit of time with him, I was like, okay, there is really something to this appendix carry, and I got to figure it out. That led to, you know, uh, building holsters for myself because at that time you just couldn't get gear. Um, yeah. and, uh, then that was, uh, you know, buddy down the street or, you know, good friend of mine would be like, you know, Hey, can you make me one? And it's just grown from there. Right. And, uh, you know, now we have a few full-time employees and several part-time employees and, uh, the guys take care of the, the holster company. Uh, yeah. since, since during all that time, I, you know, I'd, I had uh, <clears throat> uh, I'd kind of got known as a as a shooter, if you will. You know, I have uh, I've trained with the proverbial who's who. Uh, I've hosted trainers for about the last ten years, um, uh, so I kind of got to see you know that training side very, you know, deep down into that training side. I uh, I worked as an AI for. Uh, years for uh, a local instructor, and then I've AI'd for several national instructors and um, just continued through that. And then kind of branched out on my own, teaching my own classes, you know, started with the, you know, the entry level concealed carry class and then a little more advanced class and then, and more advanced and advanced from there. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at now. Uh, I primarily teach appendix carry, but uh, I'm actually really good at teaching uh, strong side inside the waistband mm. uh, carry. Um, uh, so, because uh, I spent a lot of time doing that, I still do that uh, occasionally just to kind of like brush my skills up on that. It's not something I do as a habit uh, at yeah. all. Um, but uh, so that's that's pretty much me. It's a great intro, man. Uh, you, like you said, have trained with a lot of the the big names in the industry, and uh, you, you've really proven yourself as a shooter from from what I've seen. I mean, I've never shot alongside you in person, but I see some of the videos you put out there, and it's clear you know how to run on a gun. One thing you just recently achieved, and we got to give you a big, uh, you know, big kudos on this, is you won your second turbo pin which is a, an award that Gabe White, who is also a well-regarded, fantastic instructor, uh, that is his highest award, which, why, why don't you tell folks how one earns a turbo pin and kind of what that means, what that okay. looks like. Okay, so uh, Gabe White, uh, he's a great friend of mine. We've, I've known him for years. Um, so he developed a series of standards and they're called the Gabe White standards. And uh, there is uh, an immediate incapacitation. There's a, a failure to stop drill. There's what he calls a split bill drill. 
spore of the body to the head and then a bill drill. Um, uh, most, I think most viewers would be familiar with, with those, uh, with those drills. <clears throat> and if not, you're, they're easily found on the internet. So what he did is he broke those drills up into three, uh, categories, if you will, or as he calls it, pins. Uh, there's a dark pin level, which is kind of an entry level shooter. There's a light pin level, which is kind of like a, what he would kind of call a master, uh, like maybe a class master class shooter level. And then there's a turbo pin level that is what he considers to be kind of a grandmaster level ish. If you was to compare this to USPSA, the drills actually the times, I'm sorry, the times for those, uh, those three pins for the turbo pin, they were devised by four uh, national champion shooters uh, that shoot those drills. And it was their average times mm. on those drills. Uh, so they are no, you know, you're talking a two second bill drill. Uh, you're talking a, uh, uh, the, uh, the split drill drill four, four to two is like two point, I think 2.5 or 2.6 seconds, something like that. It's, um, the, uh, the failure to stop drill, which is seven yards, draw, shoot two rounds on the three inch circle. Uh, that's a two second drill, mm. you know? Uh, so they're, they're tight. The, the times are, yeah. the times on that are very, very tight. Um, you know, the first <clears throat> turbo pin I won the day before that I missed a turp, which was on a, in a, a very formalized private lesson with Gabe. The day before that I missed a turbo pin by two hundredths of a second. Oh no. The day before that I was in the emergency room. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it got better as I went from that. From that. <laughs> Dang uh, dude. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, and then last year, uh, I just didn't, just didn't get a chance really to shoot, uh, at all. Uh, and this year I, I, uh, uh took my wife, <clears throat> so I'm super proud of her. She just graduated college. So, uh, it just kind of fell that way. Took her to Dallas for her graduation, drove, you know, drove down, turned around, turned, drove back and then, uh, took the last day of uh, Gabe's class and uh, shot five out of eight uh, runs at the turbo pin level. It takes four out of eight to get a pin. And uh, so I'm the first person so far to have won two. Yeah. I mean, there, there's not that many people that have a turbo pin. Period. Uh, 12. There's 12 yeah. pins. There's 11 people. Um, so that's the way that worked out. Yeah. And, uh, and those 11 people, if you look at them, you know, they are all, you know, they're grandmasters. Um, you know, they are all known as extremely good shooters. Yeah. Uh, so first person to achieve it twice, which is remarkable. Uh, one thing I want to ask you about is, as you're looking at those those four drills, I mean, what does this tell someone if they can accomplish, I mean, even just earning, the, you know, the dark or the light pins, like, right. how do you read into that? I mean, Gabe has his standards for a reason. And I know Gabe, I mean, Gabe is definitely, I mean, he's, he's a USPSA competitive shooter. He does mm -hmm. a remarkable job there where he shoots limited division from an appendix holster, uh, concealed okay. with concealed mags and all of that, and right. is very competitive. I know that Gabe is also very passionate about defensive training as well. So, I mean, What's one to kind of read or take away from these particular drills and what and, and what those standards really mean? Well, so let's talk about a couple of things on that. Uh, one is so often you hear the phrase in the concealed carry community, it works for me. Okay, well, what does that mean? Right. 
-hmm. So now you have some real objectable standards by, well, how well does it work for you, right? Uh, podcast I was on last night, you know, they were like, well, you know, when I go to the range and train, you know, I'm training in my training gear and I'm like, you know, so it's, it's you know, you can't do that from concealment. And I was like, the only difference in the way I am dressed um, or as far as gun wise from the gun that I won my turbo pin with and the gun that I am carrying and carried today for, you know, my concealed carry self-defense is the serial number. That's it. That's yeah. the only difference. It's the same holster. It's the exact same gun. It's just a different serial number set up the exact same way. Mm. Um, so what that gives the person, those, uh, those drills and those times, it gives them a very measurable objective standard on where they really are in their shooting capability especially done in class because they are done individually on a timer. Um, and if you don't believe that is stressful, you are wrong. Mm. Uh, you are uh, Tom Gibbons, I think said it best. You are far more concerned about looking poorly in front of your peers than you are dying in a dark alley some night. This, mm. You know, and and quite frankly, I think he's right. You know, uh, it, it, that's that's why shooting competition is so popular, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's a I think that's a big deal uh, because all of these drills have very real world applications for uh, any type of fight with a handgun. Uh, the uh, immediate incapacitation drill, let's let's say, right? Two rounds, basically, you're going to draw and shoot two rounds to the head. Well, with the active shooters that we are having mm -hmm. so prevalent, so prevalent, but a lot of them are wearing body armor. Okay, so you draw and you do a build drill to the dude, six rounds to the chest, that does nothing to him whatsoever. But if you know you can do draw and do a immediate incapacitation drill, two rounds to the head, that gives you a huge amount of power. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that should, if you have practiced that on the range, if you've done that under stress on a timer, you will your your body doesn't know the really know the difference between social stressors and lethal force stressors. It really reacts the same to those. So it says William April PhD. So okay. <clears throat> so yeah. uh, if you've worked under that amount of stress on the range in a class at a competition you're going to be, your performance is going to be much higher than had you not done those things at all. And the times that are associated with those drills and those different pin levels give you a very real world, you know, no, no BS, uh, <clears throat> uh, word I'm looking for um, status, if you will, of where you are in that, yeah. you know, when, when, uh, you know, when, when you can pull off a light pin run, <clears throat> you know, consistently, uh, man, you're, you're, you're a pretty good trigger. There's probably not a problem uh, or probably not a problem you're going to run into that you're going to have significant trouble with out in the real world. Right. right. Um, so that's kind of where I look at that. Mm. No, that's really insightful uh, information. I think you just put out there. Uh, I, I was thinking about your statement, 
you know, were you, uh, I guess, quoting or paraphrasing Tom Givens about people being more concerned about embarrassing themselves or not looking good or not performing well in front of their friends than being in an actual deadly gunfight. Uh, and I was just thinking about, I think part of that could be the fact that we have the opportunity to sort of prepare a little bit and right. to know that, that that moment's coming, like it's going to be my turn and I'm going to have to step up and I'm going to have to perform. And then a lot of times for a lot of people, especially those that don't have as much experience doing it and haven't developed some of the proper mindset uh, coping mechanisms uh, for kind of performing on the big stage, so to speak, that you're, you're kind of, you have that all that time to sort of like sit there and you're like, you know, think about it and that amps a lot of people up. They, they struggle handling that, that pressure and that stress. Whereas a lot of gunfights develop so rapidly, like you don't even have, you don't have time to, to, to really, I mean, you just have to react, right? And right. So, you're, you're not going to be able to, you know, uh, Ernest Lane talks about this just a little bit. You're not going to be able to reason yourself through that part. You're not going to be able to say, okay, put my feet, you know, support side foot, half a foot forward, square my hips up, you know, draw the gun, align the sight, slow squeeze, press on the trigger. It's going to be, oh my God, you know, and mm. if you can't do, if you can't perform on demand, then you know, you're not, you're, you're, you're going to be behind the power curve. Yeah. yeah. One of the, one of the things to touch on this, just one of the things I have learned in working as a role player in the class uh, EDP, Establishing a Dominant Paradigm with uh, Tom Gibbons, Craig Douglas, and William Aprils. Mm where they are so uh, each trainer trains to his strength in that class tom teaches the shooting portion william does the mindset the you know the phd thesis thesis on you know this is how bad guys act um and then craig does some sort of uh evolution where you are put into a scenario-based training exercise and there are many outcomes mm. and there's many different ways to handle it and you've got to be able to think through those, right? When it comes to accessing the gun, again, this is me playing a bad guy and I play a really good bad guy. Tom was a little worried the last time we did it. <laughs> He's like, what have you been doing <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, there are two draw strokes that I see that work. There are some form of a stealth draw, and if done correctly, yeah. it works incredibly well. And there is a get the gun out right now and put it to use. Mm -hmm. Anything in between those two will get you shot. Yep. Right. Or stabbed. <clears throat> Or whatever, or stabbed yeah. or mm -hmm. beaten or whatever, right? Yep, yep. Um, and it's 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 so. I, I think I learned more this more than the students do getting to you know play as a role player you know during that and uh, uh, so that's something I would really encourage the listeners to really think about those those are the, really the only two that matter. There's yeah. get the gun out right now or some form of stealth drop. If you can't get the gun out right now, if you don't have that capability, then you are going to have to come up with your, your decision-making, your, you know, OODA loop is what we like to talk about, right? Your ability to work through the problem mentally to come up with a scenario that allows you to draw the gun stealthily is what you got, mm. right? Yep. I would much rather have both options. Yeah. I, I agree with you there for sure. I, I think there's a lot of video evidence that would support that of, of actual shootings, right? Yes. And, and you can watch a lot of that and also hear some analysis that aligns with what you're saying here on the Active Self-Protection YouTube channel from John Correa. 
Correct. where we see that very same thing play out. You see there's times where you got to get the gun out right now. And there's times where it's wise and perhaps necessary to go to that stealth draw. Uh, and that's a lot of times situationally dependent. You know, obviously if, if you are already faced with a threat where they, they already have a gun trained on you or a knife out and they're, they're in close quarters or whatever, you typically that stealth draw is really, really, really critical uh, mm-hmm. because you need to find that opportunity, that that moment where they take their eyes off you for a second, they get distracted with something else or somebody else. And meanwhile, or, you know, and maybe you're even turning your body a little bit away or whatever it is so that you can get that little bit of advantage so you can get that gun out stealth, stealth, stealthily. Sometimes it's, I think, a, a little, a kind of a combination of both, right? Where it's, you, you need to get your hand on the gun stealthily and then once it's there, it's got to come out really fast, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And uh, I know uh, a little, you know, government agency spends a lot of time setting down, doing uh, undercover work. <clears throat> not going to go really much into who they are. Um, you can probably figure it out if you're, you know, uh, pretty smart. Um, but <clears throat> that is one of the things that appendix has changed for them. Mm-hmm. Their tactics are are so much better and so much more precise, so much more unforgiving for the bad guy while carrying appendix because it is easier, far easier to slip a hand onto the gun serotypically than it is strong side. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, that's just, that's another, a lot of people don't talk about that with appendix. They talk about the, you know, oh, it's faster, you know, well, it, it, it is faster than strong side because you move the gun less, but it's also much easier to do some form of a stealth draw than it is strong side. So, yeah, yeah, really, really good points there. In fact, I think this is an interesting opportunity for a segue of sorts to, talk a little bit about the criminal mindset and what I what, what where I'm going with this is probably the most common location that we see criminals carry a gun is appendix a lot of times that a holster uh, no less but but you know what I mean, do you agree with me on that point and if so why do so, you think uh, that is is uh, it because so there's these advantages I, I have heard this for many different trainers uh, California Department of Justice or whoever they, you know, whatever their official title was, uh, sent out a bunch of like three to five cards with, you know, figures drawn on them, right? Uh, front, front, back. <clears throat> and uh, basically it was when you arrest a criminal that has a gun on them, just put an X where the gun was. Okay? Mm. 95% of them were on the waistline forward of the hips mm-hmm. appendix. There's got to be a reason for that. There's sir. There is a reason for that. <laughs> you know, uh, and Greg, my, you know, my good buddy, Greg Elfritz wrote an article, a hundred thousand thugs can't be wrong. And it was, it was based off that study. You know, it's just a really good place to carry a gun. And, you know, you hear some people talk about this new fangled, uh, appendix carry method yet you know i've seen literally you know paintings of pirates and pictures of cowboys with their gun appendix it's been around as long as we've had pistols yeah yeah i agree it's it's we have to we have to understand the motivations behind you know a criminal in that they don't play by rules by nature, they are going to look for any advantage possible. They are going to try to use whatever tactic or technique gives them advantage and that, uh, you know, breaks the rules, so to speak, or, you know, whatever advantage they can gain over their adversary or their chosen victims or whatever it is like that. There's, and that's kind of, I guess my point here is, and I'm not saying that like appendix carry is the end all be all of all things for right. everybody, but there's reasons why 
it's the carry position of choice for a lot of criminals <laughs> by and large, but also by more and more law abiding citizens as well, because there's, there's advantages to it. Yes. And you've touched on those, I think pretty well. Uh, so some interesting uh, comments actually going on Facebook here and we have Andrew Branca actually watching and commenting and we appreciate him for, for doing so. Uh, yeah. And, and there's an interesting comment he made here. He said, uh, fear of loss of status is one of the biggest flags I see in law abiding people using force, especially deadly force unlawfully. Meaning if they had time to think about it, even they would know it's the wrong choice. Interesting thing to consider there. And I think that's, that's, hmm. you know, it's true. Yeah. 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 You know, and I was thinking too, that well, people know. I think make a lot of poor choices because of loss of status, loss of ego, you know, like th they have been violated. You know what I mean? Right. Like someone has, broken into my my girlfriend's truck has stolen my tv or whatever it is and oh how dare you i can't let this guy get away and sometimes levels of force are used that are not justified or actions are taken in the sense that uh, a person may pursue actions that they shouldn't because yes. tactically it's not wise and it gets them gets them hurt yes as well yeah yeah um, okay, so let's uh, let's switch now. So there's a, a comment earlier from a viewer on Facebook here who was talking about some of his difficulties in carrying a full-size gun. So you talk quite a bit, Spencer, about carrying a basically a full-size Beretta, you know, yeah. 92. And I know you're a big fan of the Langdon Tactical uh, version of that. It's a fantastic gun, by the way. I don't own one. I wish to one day. I have handled them, and they are phenomenal. Uh, but uh, by the, you know, by most people's accounts, most concealed carriers, they don't look at a Breda 92 and go, "Oh, that's easy to carry," or "That's easy right. to conceal." So, so w what would you say to someone that's that feels like they're struggling to be able to? conceal the gun they want to conceal and carry right uh so to talk about that just very quickly uh with more regards to appendix and strong side but i will come back to strong side mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um appendix it, you you need to look at carrying appendix as an equation mm. uh and, and i have said this a, a lot because I, I believe it's the best way that I can really describe it. There are a lot of factors in that equation. It can be a very easy equation for some people. Literally, we have, uh, I cannot tell you how many people we set a holster up about the where, you know, we think the ride height needs to be, the cant needs to be. It ships out of here. They put it on. They put a gun in. They send us an email, and they're like, this thing is fabulous. And then occasionally we get uh, an email that's like, uh, this thing is horrible. Uh, I, you know, I can't grip the gun. It doesn't hide. It doesn't do this, et cetera. And we work through that equation with this person. It may be that that person needs to raise the waist heights of their pants. They need to, they may need to get new pants. They may need to get a new infinitely adjustable belt. Uh, mm. You know, the foundation belt, <clears throat> best appendix belt I've been able to find yet. Um, I concur. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm wearing mine right now. Are, are you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Great belt. Um, uh, they may need to adjust the holster. They may need to adjust the cant or the ride height of the appendix holster. Uh, it may need a small foam wedge. Wedge. It may need a large foam wedge. It, um, it, it may need to be thinner um, than the one they previously had before. Mm. Um, you know the the. Uh, it may need to be longer. 
one of the big things uh, really with concealed carry, especially inside the waistband, is everybody, everybody, a lot of people think <clears throat> I need, well, if I'm going to carry it inside my waistband, I need a little bitty gun, right? Mm -hmm. The problem with that is now you've got this little short gun and the, the amount of pressure getting pushed out on the gun is now only being absorbed by this little tiny portion under the belt and you get a real hot spot there. If you were to actually lengthen the holster or actually maybe even carry a longer or larger gun, you take the same amount of pressure that's getting pushed out, but you put it over a larger surface area. So now that pressure is being reduced against your body. Mm. Uh, uh, belt tension is huge for appendix um, and uh, having the right shirt. You know, if you're going to be a, you know, power lifter and wear a medium shirt all the time where you can see your six pack, you know, appendix might not be the thing for you. Uh, you do have to dress around the gun to, to a degree mm. at some point in time, especially uh, females. Uh, you know, my wife is an extremely attractive lady. And uh, when we first started dating, she walked out in an outfit, you know, she was just, just stunning. She goes, okay, so what gun holster combo do I carry with this one? I'm like, none of them. <laughs> like, I can put a credit card where the gun goes. It's going to print, you know, all <laughs> right, right. right. You know, yep. um, so you've got to work around that just a little bit. Mm. Coming back to coming back to, to strong side, the same thing applies when it comes typically when it comes to length of the holster or the gun. So you put a Glock 26 and an inside the waistband strong side, right? There is literally more gun hanging above the belt line than below. So if it gets pushed out at all, it's getting pushed into that small area mm -hmm. where, because I'm a slow learner, I went from a 27 because everything was 40 back then to a 23 to a 22 to a 35. And when I got to the Glock 35, I was like, wow, this thing's actually really comfortable to carry because now I had the right length. I had enough surface area below the belt line to absorb the pressures that was being pushed out against the belt. And it was just far easier to carry that way. Yeah. The average, <clears throat> the average person, um, I was talking to a, a very famous knife maker that was in the, uh, in the class this weekend, uh, with Gabe <clears throat> and, uh, he was like, you know, I've tried appendix a couple times. It just doesn't work. So we kind of talked about some of these same things. And he was like, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get some higher waisted pants. I'll be getting in touch with you. Okay. Perfect. Mm. Um, because most people can carry uh, with just a little bit of work, a much bigger gun. Uh, what, what I would term a true fighting gun. My true fighting gun starts somewhere between 10 and 15 rounds of ammo on board and, you know, kind of goes up from there. Um, the Beretta that I love so much, I've got 19 rounds. Gabe carries a, uh, you know, Gen 5 Glock 17 with 21 round board, you know, rounds on yeah. board. Um, uh, it was very interesting. Him and I, uh, just as a, a quick side note, uh, him and I did a very informal uh, shooting session together uh, the day before the class and after I picked him up from the airport. And one of the things that we did was uh, we had a piece of steel that we were shooting at and we did three bill drills with each other's gun. Mm. And uh, at the end of the third bill drill, he kind of looked at me holding the bread and he was like, I get it now. <laughs> It's kind of funny. So, uh, but with a little bit of work, it can be done. Yeah. And, and it does, it is a position that requires more finesse, more patience, 
more understanding too. And, yes. and that's, that's the thing. There's a lot of things that I've learned about appendix carry that I had to learn the hard way. Now my goal would be to try to help people, uh, you know, avoid some of the pitfalls that, that someone like me has gone through already. And, and I'm sure you've been there too, but, uh, but there are just some things that someone's going to learn just by playing around with things, experimenting right. and not giving up. I mean, honestly, appendix carry is not for everyone. Absolutely. Positively. It is not. But I think more people can do it than think they can do it. Yes. And, but, but they, they, you know, they, they get discouraged or disgruntled rather easily or early on and go, oh, man, that, that hurt, that sucked, that was uncomfortable, uh, whatever. There's a variety of things. And then they just sort of write it off. The two most common things I hear from people is I am too fat to carry appendix. I am too skinny to carry appendix. Neither one is correct. Yeah, uh, yeah. One one other thing I want to add really quickly when I when I talked about appendix and the waist height of, of your pants, you need to think about where the gun holster combo needs to ride, right? Mm-hmm. So with appendix, that is in between the crease in the leg, right, and the important parts in the middle. In that yeah. that basically kind of why where there's really nothing going on there yep. uh, or it needs to ride high enough that it rides above all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people can, a lot of people can do that. Uh, you know, my bud Scott Jelensky carries a, uh, you know, full fledged, <clears throat> I don't know if it's a rolling special or not, but it, it probably is, you know, with a, surefire light and all that. And, uh, you know, he has enough space to accommodate that. I really don't. When it comes to carrying a weapon mounted light on appendix, I really don't have enough space to accommodate the light. Um, uh, and I'm not a big fan of weapon mounted lights anyhow, but that's part of the reason why. So, yeah. Yeah. That's something that I've not, mm, I'll be honest, I haven't really tried appendix carry with a weapon mounted light yet. And some of that's just because I, I, I don't uh, find it to be something that's really necessary for me uh, with where I'm at and the, and the way I, I live my life and the way I carry a gun. Yeah. There are some people that feel a weapon mounted light is important and that's, that's fine. That's great. And I definitely know plenty of people that are able to make it work. Uh, but, uh, you know, at some point I think I will play around with that. If anything, just so I can sort of, so I can be more educated about, uh, you know, about doing that. Yeah. And I, I have done that very thing. You know, uh, I have, uh, you know, when I go to my AIWB skills class, I have a whole big bag full of holsters that I take and talk about, you know, theory mm-hmm. of holsters and what works and what doesn't work and what may work for you will not work for me you know, et cetera. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Really good uh, thoughts there and really good explanation. Uh, I mean, you're, you're exactly right that you will not almost no matter who you are, you will not succeed with appendix carry. If you do not follow Spencer's advice of thinking about and looking at your own personal anatomy and realizing that you've got to fit the, the gun in that, in that Y-shaped area between your nether regions and that crease or where your leg bends, right? right. If, if, right. You, if you cannot do that, if you can't wear a holster that, that'll fit in that space, uh, if you choose a crappy holster that doesn't fit in that space, like there's definitely those that are just so right. wide and bulky and square cut. That's the one right. that really gets me, Spencer. I see these holsters yeah. out there. They're like, this oh, is an appendix dude. holster. I take one look at it. I'm like... That thing is a square block of plastic. And it's angled wrong. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> you know, uh, the two main things for me when I look in an appendix holster and, and, uh, is that the holster needs some form of ride height and can't adjustment. You think mm-hmm. about it, everybody is built on an oval. And yep. there, are, there are no two ovals the same. 
<clears throat> so you need to be able to adapt that holster to your body. Um, you know, and, and I've been doing this a long time and I literally have bags full of holsters uh, that are in storage that I haven't seen in, you know, five years um, or longer, maybe, <laughs> you know, but right. they are all that attempt of, you know, well, I'm going to buy this holster or that holster, or, you know, and uh, there, I, I really believe there is a Kydex holster company in every large neighborhood in America. It, it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's beyond cities now. It's just like every large neighborhood has somebody been in Kydex. I'm raising my hand because I'm, I'm a dabbler in Kydex as well. <laughs> saying it's a holster, you know, and, and uh, you know, when we kind of go back and talk about the turbo pin just a little bit, right. Uh, talk about Gabe White, you know, you talk about some of the other less pepperoni and, uh, uh, you know, some of the other guys that are out there that are doing just incredible work from uh, appendix carry. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing they do is by chance. Right? Yeah. Nothing they do is by chance. Everything that like in, in, in our keeper holster, it, well, all of them, but especially the keeper, everything that we do has a very specific purpose behind it. And it is allow it is, it is there to allow you to gain maximum speed and more important than that, repeatability of grip on the gun so that you can build that speed, you know, cause when you're, when you're shooting stuff from a draw to one shot in way sub one second, everything has to be perfect. Yep. Uh, so that's, that's another thing that you need to really kind of think about when you're looking at an appendix holster, you know, if, if they say, Oh, you know, we're, <sighs> I hate to say this, but, uh, you know, we're a uh, law enforcement veteran-owned company. Awesome. Thank you for your service. I really, truly mean that. But by taking this much of a look at your holsters, I can understand that you're not a shooter. Mm -hmm. And you need to look for holsters that are built by shooters that have some form of success, if you will, like we said, you know, about measuring your capability, you need to be able to look at them and see what their capability was. And, you know, then, uh, or that they have that type of shooter on board, uh, helping them design holsters. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting question that popped up here on Facebook it, it, and I, it's got, kind of got me thinking a little bit. The question is, it's, it's a rather simple question, but I'm not sure that the, hmm. Well, I don't know. Let me just ask you, what's the smallest gun you would carry appendix, AIWB? Well, that is going to differ from person to person. Yeah. Right. Um, so for some people that may be say a three C SIG three sixty five. I mean, that's literally one of the smallest guns out there right now. Um, you know, clown car gun cause it holds that much ammo. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, you know, it, uh, it might be a five shot revolver. Uh, um, might be a two shot Derringer. Um, why I don't know, but you know, they, they make them. And I knew a guy years ago that that's exactly what he carried. Um, uh, if it was, if it was me, you were asking that question to the smallest gun that I would carry appendix is a PX4 compact carry block 19 ish. Yeah. Um, of course I'm a big fan of the PX4, uh, 
uh, especially the compact carry. I think it's the most underrated carry gun on the market today, period, bar none. And if you told me I could only have one handgun, that would be it. Mm. So. Yeah. Well, that PX4 Storm Compact, uh, that that is a I, – I agree that it is underrated for sure. Uh, they really are good shooters. I don't have a ton of personal experience with them, but the experience I have is they, they are – they're great. They're great shooters. Yeah. And especially if you, you know, put Ernest Langdon's uh, trigger kit in them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, there's no well, reason from, for anybody to have the excuse of well, that double action because it, it really becomes a non-issue at that point. Yeah. It was, it was funny uh, at the end of the class, uh, Gabe had some stuff doing and I had one of my uh, Keeper's Concealment Awareness Defense Challenge coins. And so I got the class together. I was like, guys, I'm going to give one of these away. Very simple test. Uh, We've got a piece of steel hanging at 20 yards. Uh, The steel is roughly about 8 inches wide and roughly about 10 to 11 inches tall, something like that. Maybe it's 12 inches tall. It's got a little notch cut out at the top. Fastest draw to first hit, right? The class was made up all Glocks one sig and my beretta Hmm. like i'm gonna do your i'm gonna do your demo for the drill right now Hmm. shooter shooter make ready standby beat boom double action beretta you can't shoot those faster accurately (laughs) how on the little piece of steel at 20 yards 166 yeah (laughs) i was like now let's see what all these little short light, you know, clock triggers can do. It was kind of funny. So, yeah, yeah, you know, some of that obviously is, uh, you know, you got to spend time on a gun, uh, particularly yeah, double you action do. gun. You got to you got to know that trigger uh, a little bit, probably more intimately than you would with a single action or a striker fire trigger. Uh, but uh, with a, with a good double action trigger. It, it'll make it a lot easier for the person to make that adjustment and to, to learn that trigger. So uh, I just been, have been so impressed with uh, Ernest's work on the, on those guns uh, because, you know, again, that's just, it, I, I totally understand people when they say, wow, that double action, you know, yeah. well, that's because they haven't tried a actual uh, good double action yet. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. yeah. And, and I thought the same, you know, uh, you know, I grew up, I watched uh, Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, you know. I yep. went straight to the gun store and picked a bread up and went, smack. I was like, oh, nope, I don't want one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. So. Yep. Um, all right, so we have just a just a couple minutes left here. And, and so let's let's kind of segue again. And, well, no, before I do, I, I want to ask real quick, You've explained this before in other podcasts and also on our Guardian Nation Live broadcast last week. But uh, this is, I mean, I think you touched on a little bit earlier, but I want to make sure this clarification gets out there because I think this is a really helpful thing for people to understand where it comes to appendix carry. Right. And, and that has to do with the length of the gun slash holster as it relates to its balance and all those things. I mean, you, you, you did kind of touch on that, right. but uh, like there was a question that popped up here or some discussion here with someone uh, with David actually about uh, his comment was actually, that's why the P365 is so perfect for appendix in my opinion is what he says. And you know, my, I I've been responding to him here and my response was well, the 365 is really too short uh, oh, for me to carry it successfully appendix. And, and that's because the length of, the gun that's below the top of the belt right. is too short to right. balance all that weight and everything on the ab- above the belt. And right. so can you kind of touch on the importance again of balancing that length and, and weight and all that? Sure. I think that's a really important thing for people to, to grasp. So what they need really, what people really need to grasp is everything hinges on the belt line, right? That, that is the attachment point of the gun to the body right? for the, for the vast majority of time. There are times that you can carry appendix and not wear a belt. Um, and you can do some different stuff there. Uh, for the vast majority of time, you're going to be wearing a belt, <clears throat> right? So 
So you need, if everything's, if everything is hinged off the belt line, you need more surface area below the belt line than above. Because if you have a very, uh, again, if you have a very short uh, surface area below the belt line and have any type of push on the gun outward, uh, the gun's just going to roll out. I, I have literally seen, been in a real gun store and watched a person lean over, they drop something, lean over to get it, and their gun literally rolled completely out on the outside of their belt uh, while carrying a, appendix. Um, <clears throat> gun clattered to the floor. Uh, it was really, it was just really a bad deal, right? Uh, so you need more link there. If you order uh, a, a SIG 365 holster from us, um, you know, don't be surprised when you get it and it's an inch and a half longer than the gun is um, because that link needs to be there. Now, once to five times a year since we've been doing this, we'll have somebody contact us uh, almost always a female and they will say hey this holster is too long we'll work with them a little bit to make sure because a lot of times once they adjust the cant just a little bit or the ride height just a little bit they're like oh my god this thing's just amazingly comfortable right yeah but <clears throat> again you know just a few times a year we'll actually make a short one uh, typically for females because their body type, they don't need the extra length. Or especially for women, they wear such low-waisted pants that there's just not enough room for any additional length there. Yep, yep. And then I, I think that also is a part of comfort. And I know I've heard you touch on this because, and there's not a lot of people that I see out there in the interwebs really talk about this much, as much as I think they should. And that has to do with that longer holster below the belt line. And to me, it, it increases comfort. Yeah. Uh, I find that particularly with those small, short guns, small, short holsters, that it you know, you have this pressure, right? That that is, you know, being placed upon you from the gun and the belt and everything, you know, pushing things in. And if you can spread that pressure out over a longer or broader area, uh, obviously we don't want to get too broad in the appendix position, but then you're, 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 you have, you basically have the same number of PSI pounds per square inch. And right. if you spread that over a larger area area, then your PSI gets lower. So right. less of a sharp pinch or, yeah. or pressure point. Way, in, way, way less of a hot spot being pushed in one place. Yeah. Uh, and you, you touched on something. That's one of the reasons that we make our holsters literally as narrow as we can. Right, because yep. once you start making those holsters wider, uh, as we touched on with the weapon-mounted lights, people start running out of room, and you only have a finite amount of real estate for that holster-gun combo to be there, right? Mm -hmm. So the more narrow you can make it, the better. Yeah, especially the, the base, the base of the holster. Yes, and and it the better. Because it allows more people a chance to carry it than less. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. Absolutely. So I, I think that is uh, really, really good information about appendix carry. I, I did want to kind of get dive into a couple other things too, but unfortunately we're out of time. But I've been seeing just from comments on Facebook from viewers today that a number of people have come away from this going, oh, wow, like this was so helpful because I've had all these questions or these challenges with appendix carry. And I think that you've really answered a lot of things for folks here tonight. Oh, well, good, good. Absolutely. Uh, we may just have to have you on again sometime because I, I want to 
continue to, it, it's hard because when you're the appendix guy and you make the right. world's greatest appendix holsters, <laughs> it's hard not to sort of stay on that tangent. Right. Uh, but I'd love to, to talk with you even deeper sometime about specifics relating to shooting a gun, you know, the mechanics, right. the, the fundamentals, if you will. So, right. but uh, Spencer, uh, uh, oh, one quick, quick, quick question. There was a question here from a viewer. Oh, I scrolled up too far. What is your most popular holster? Or maybe if you have some thoughts on what might be the better choice or best choice or, mo or most common choice based on experience for women? Uh, most popular holster for women typically by far is our, our Aaron line. Uh, typically the, the Glock 43, now the Glock 48, the SIG 365. Mm -hmm. uh, the Shield, uh, though it is a far distant, um, like third. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, uh, my wife is now carrying a Glock 48 and uh, just loves it. Uh, we make our Aaron and our Keeper holster uh, for the 43 the 48 the 43x it's all the same holster uh so that's kind of you know kind of yep. nice um but the uh the the way that aaron is set up you can actually wear it without a belt um and for women that sometimes is just a huge thing uh a lot of women just flat won't just you know they won't wear a belt just not going to happen so you know we literally have women that wear fairly uh you know uh yoga pants except they're <clears throat> they found some that have a little more reinforced elastic band on top uh, and they can clip the holster on and go about their day yeah and uh you know i'm not gonna say that's the best i'm not gonna say that you're gonna survive a you know an ecqc you know uh, jiu-jitsu tournament over a gun with that on uh, but I would a lot rather have them have that than nothing at all mm. so yeah awesome good good final thoughts there especially for the ladies and so I, I do have a hard stop I, I've got an appointment I've got to make here this evening so Spencer, thanks again. Appreciate you so much for yeah, being man. here and doing the show with us and, and providing your wisdom as the high priest of appendix carry or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, again, folks, I would encourage you to check out Keepers Concealment. The website's super simple, keepersconcealment.com. And if you don't know how to spell keepers, well, it pretty much is how it sounds, but K-E-E-P-E-R-S concealment.com. Again, Keepers Concealment, an honorary sponsor of today's episode. And I do want to throw out one last uh, shout out for CCW Safe, uh, today's uh, episode sponsor of the show, ccwsafe.com to learn more about them and their various plans. They, they do have a couple of options for plans uh, that, uh, you know, you know if, you, if you look at the ultimate plan, you go, ah, it's just, I can't really swing that much cash right now. They have the Defender plan. They also have one that's for military and law enforcement as well that's, that's similar. And those are quite a bit more affordable. And they still come with like 90 plus percent of what the ultimate plan comes with as far as like the really critical, important uh, protection that uh, any self-defense coverage should have. Yes. So uh, again, ccwsafe.com, we appreciate them for being sponsors of today's episode. Now, before we do go, uh, I'm going to run through this fairly quickly, but every weekly Tuesday episode, we do a, we, we announce our winner of the weekly giveaway. This week's winner is going to come away with a $50 gift certificate for SSP Eyewear, uh, a redeemable coupon code slash gift certificate at sspiwear.com. And so I have jumped right through the hoops here and, and went right into picking a winner. And this week's winner, his name is John D. Last name starts with D. Again, we don't read the full names over the air uh, due to just being respectful of people's privacy. Now, if you're on Facebook and when we're doing our Facebook giveaways, you're already like, we know who you are because we see your full name on your profile. But John D, as in Delta, uh, is the winner of this week's uh, weekly giveaway for the podcast. If you guys want to make sure you're signed up for the 
for the current weekly giveaway that just started earlier today, head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. That's where you sign up each week. As long as you sign up once a week, you are part of that week's giveaway. And so head on over there, make sure you signed up. Again, congrats to John and John will be emailed and contacted and notified of his winnings. And so with that one last time, thank you so much, Spencer. We appreciate you. You bet. And I look forward to the next time that we can chat. And at some point, look forward to either training alongside of you, taking one of your classes, whatever it is. I'm sure we'll connect in person again before too long. And so until then, and a reminder to everybody else out there, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.